You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. Hey, I'm excited uh, to be here, UPC all day today. So uh, this, is, uh, this is the third year in a row that George has asked me to come and, uh, and speak. So I'm starting to feel like a regular uh, here. So that, that feels pretty good. At least um, I feel less guilty when I take a parking spot uh, during the week when I park down here. So that, 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 that at least is one benefit I, I feel I can have. So, but um, no, it's great to be back here. And uh, even though I've been here the last uh, three years, um, this is my first time at this new 10 a.m. service, and I really like it. This is awesome. I hope you do as well. There's many of us who prayed and talked about this for a long time. So not seeing it happen until about six years after I left. Um, but uh, we're really grateful. I'm glad to be here with you. And this is a very exciting uh, moment for me just to be s- sitting here and worshiping with you during this time. Now, a little bit of an update. For those of you that have known us uh, from our time, my wife and I from our time when we were here on staff or at the Inn uh, University Ministries, you might remember uh, our three little daughters uh, always running around this church, usually in matching outfits, which, of course, they hated. But... Uh, <laughs> But they run around, and, and now they don't run around the halls here anymore. They now run around the halls of, of their universities. They're all three in university, in different universities. And so now I just made some of you feel really old. So, yeah, it may, they make me feel so old sometimes too. But no, they're great, and a couple more here today. So it's, it's great to have them here as well. Hey, I want to try out some taglines on you, all right? Some taglines. So I'm going to tell, say what the tagline is, and you got to tell me what the company is, all right? So got it? Got it? So it'll be pretty simple, especially these first ones. Um, don't leave home without it. Okay. Let's see. Some of you knew that. Not very many of you. Here's more likely. Just do it. See, there's a like, boom. Where's the beef? <laughs> There you go. Okay, here's one that I've been testing out. I'm going to test out on each congregation throughout the day to see who gets this one right. Okay, and it's going to tell me a lot about the congregation. Okay, you ready for this one? You got actually got to finish the tagline. Okay, finish this tag, tagline. Tastes great. You guys were way more knowledgeable than 8:30. <laughs> right? Now the next question is: Is who, what's the company? What's the beer? Miller Lite. All right. Okay, now I'm going to give you one that, that, uh, that uh, you, you know, if you're younger, you may not know this one, uh, but, it's, uh, but, but it's pretty famous. It takes a licking and keep on ticking. Timex, okay, so you do. You know, melts in your mouth. M&M's, of course. My daughter didn't know this one yesterday, but finger licking good. Yeah, I'm, I'm proud of being able to know that one. I think that's a good one, so... Here, they even do this taglines with cities, right? So here's a famous one. What happens here stays here. You all know that one really well. Hmm. So, you know, the organization I work for has one. Uh, you were made for this, Young Life. Some of you might know that one. You were made for this. One of my personal favorites, of course, is, hey, Mikey, he likes it. Live cereal, there you go. Well, all right, we could do this all day. Could that be fun? I just Google it. That's what I did. Pull up a whole bunch of them. But um, did I got one more here that I want to want to want to throw at you and see if you know what this one is? And it's you were uh, you were made for. I already did that. That was Young Life. That's not what I want to do. Here it is. Every member a minister. How many of you know that? 
Okay, a lot of you do. Every member a minister. For those that you don't know, every member a minister is the tagline for University Presbyterian. It's their vision statement. Matter of fact, I asked a friend the other day who does not attend UPC but was here as a student in the 80s. I actually asked him, what's the tagline for UPC? And he goes, every member a minister. I was like, how'd you know that? And he goes, I don't know, it just stuck in my head way back when, when I was a college student. Every member a minister, he knew it. Now, I don't know exactly how long this has been the vision statement for UPC, but what I do know is it makes a lot of sense. And it makes a lot of sense in, in two ways, because I think it describes this congregation and what it has been, without a doubt. It's, it describes this congregation. I can testify that this congregation has lived into that tagline. Personally, my wife and I have, our children have. We know that you all have been, as members, have been ministers to our family. We've experienced it personally. But I also know as a pastor on staff here for 14 years that I knew that that it was a charge in order to help you be ministers as well. I think it fits. Um, It's it's been something that, that, that I think we understand um, that has been true to us, but also something we've been able to be a part of as we have helped you live into the vision. It makes sense. UPC has lived into that. I remember, though, when I first took the job as the director of university ministries here, um, I was meeting with uh, then-senior pastor, Earl Palmer, uh, and I'll never forget what he said to me when he was talking to me about my role or my job as, as the pastor uh, over the college ministry. He said, Mike, your primary job is not to minister to college students. I said, wait a minute, that's my title. He said, your primary job is not to minister to college students. Your primary job is to help the congregation minister to college students. I'm so glad I learned that very early on in life and said, okay, that's what my, my charge is. I now have that conversation almost on a weekly basis with, with young life staff around the country whom we're trying to encourage to reach out to college students. But I say, your job isn't first and foremost to minister to college students, is to get the community around these universities, the brothers and sisters, to use their gifts, their talents, to invest in these guests that come and dwell amongst you for these four, five, or seven years. (laughs) However long it might be, right? This is what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4. Listen to these words. Paul says this, there is one body and one spirit, Just as you've been called to one glorious hope and future, there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, there's one God and Father who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, Paul writes, he's given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. He's given each one of you a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Now he says, now these are the gifts Christ has given to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now listen, he says their responsibility, so those pastors, these ones that like in some other services wear robes, I didn't wear a robe at 8.30 today, and, uh, but they wear robes up front, sometimes I don't mean the choir, the pastors, the pastors, the ones that tell, listen, hold them to their job. Because Paul writes, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue, Paul writes, this will continue 
until we all come to such unity and faith and knowledge of the Son of God that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to full and complete standard of Christ. That's what he's called us together to do. You know, I remember though when I first heard the UPC tagline a long time ago, way back. Remember when I first heard every member a minister, I was actually a tad bit confused. I thought, okay, do, so do I need to join the church? Do I, need to join, do I need to become a member of the church? And ministers, as a young Roman Catholic at the time, I thought, so does that mean I have to wear black and a little clerical collar? You know, so it didn't make total make sense to me. And so as I was thinking about that, I thought this may not totally make sense to everybody else. So I'm not proposing that we change it, but I am proposing just, I'm just going to say it in a few different ways. I wrote down that instead of just every member of minister, it's every believer a blessing. How about every Christian, a contributor, and my personal favorite, every pew sitter, a participant. <laughs> ministers, ministers of the gospel, serving in our neighborhoods, within the congregation walls, serving in ways that are very planned and predetermined, but also serving in spontaneous ways that are out of the box, right? Some folks here serve as, in leading others, some serve behind the scenes. Some are gifted with hospitality, and some of you might be gifted as Dale Bruner. I don't know if you ever read or study. He's, he's awesome. He's one of my favorite theologians. Dale Bruner it says he's been gifted with an iron butt. It's, can I say butt? I guess I said it twice. So anyway, you can sit and sit. Some of you can sit and sit and sit. Some of us can't. And then, and then some are gifted with the ability to pray unceasingly. Man, I tell you, at 8.30, when I said that, it absolutely stopped me because I looked in the congregation and saw people, you get emotional, people in their 80s and 90s who have told me they pray for me every day. And you, know, and you just go, man, that's a gift. Now, I want to take a minute here and turn from UPC's tagline to your tagline. What would your tagline be? Have you ever thought about one? Do you have one? What do you want your legacy? What do you want, how would you want people to remember? As a family guy? I had one friend of mine that I, 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 matter of fact, I just said to somebody else as describing my friend, I said, tell you what, what you see is what you get with him. I, I kind of like that one. Hard worker. My mom could be given the tagline. See, then I look at my wife when I say this one. So it's like, ah, can't look over there. My wife, my mother, my mom, who's, 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 who's passed away, but my mom could be given the tagline, great mother-in-law. Wouldn't some of us like to have that said about some of our mother-in-laws? I'm not saying that, 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 that that's a great one. My dad, you, my dad was a person who, who people would say his handshake was his word. Have you ever thought about this? What people might say at the end for you? I want us to do something today. I want to take a look at a story uh, that Jesus tells uh, that comes out of Matthew's gospel, chapter 25, so you can look in your Bibles, but I am going to read from the New Living Translation uh, for us this morning, but you can follow along there. I want to take a look at a story, what the Bible calls par a parable. I want to take a look at this parable from Matthew's gospel um, to give us a little bit of insight into this for us today. And you'll see some taglines in there as well. Um, 
Now, I want to set it up for just a second. Um, Jesus is preaching in what Matthew considered Jesus' last sermon. We know the famous Sermon on the Mount in uh, chapter 5, 6, and 7. Chapter 24 and 25 is his last sermon. Matter of fact, Dale Bruner calls it the Sermon of the End of the World. You know, like, if I saw that posted upside the church, I'm not sure if I'd come in or not. But Sermon of the End of the World. Um, but within the last... Um, Part of this sermon, he gives these three parables that, that, that scholars would call the parables of judgment. So be ready. Um, it's one about the, there's one about the 10 bridesmaids. There's the story of the, the, the parable of the town or the third, three servants and then the sheep and the goats. But we're just going to look at the story of the three servants. It's better known as the parable of the town. So let me read this for us today. Matthew 25, starting in verse 14, Jesus, he's speaking really in the middle of a sermon, so be sure to go back and read the rest of the sermon, all right? Is that all right? Will you do that sometime? Read the whole sermon, because I'm pulling just a part of it out, which is usually what you do with most pastor sermons anyway. So, um, but here's what Jesus said. He said, again, he's talking about the kingdom of God, the reign and rule of God, okay? That's what it always means, see kingdom of God, reign and rule of God. The kingdom of God can be illustrated by the story of a master. Some of your Bibles might say, or excuse me, story of a man. Some of your Bibles might say master. The story of a master, a man going on a trip. He called together his servants and gave them money to invest while he was gone. He gave five bags of gold to one, two bags of gold to another, and one bag of gold to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities, and then left on his trip. Now the servant who received the five bags of gold began immediately to invest the money and soon doubled it. The servant with two bags of gold also went right to work and doubled the money. But the servant who received the one bag of gold dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money for safekeeping. Now after a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used the money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of gold said, Sir, you gave me five bags of gold to invest, and I have doubled the amount. The master was full of praise. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Hey, let's go have a party. Next, the servant who has received the two bags of gold came with his report. Sir, you gave me two bags of gold, and I have doubled the amount. The master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling the small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's have a party. Then the servant with the one bag of gold came and said, sir, I know you are a hard man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you did not cultivate. I was afraid. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth, and here it is. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, you think I'm a hard man, do you? Harvesting crops I didn't plant and gathering crops I didn't cultivate? Well, you should have at least put my money into the bank so I could have some interest. Take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of gold. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who are unfaithful, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant out into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, or a better way of saying it would be sadness and anger. What separates the first two from the third? Just ask that question. What separates the first two servants from the third one? 
Now, the master calls the third servant wicked and lazy. I'm going to come back to the word lazy here in a few minutes. But the word wicked, okay, sometimes translated as evil, the word comes from the Greek word pornos, which simply means to be mischievous or someone who delights in mischief or in tragedy. We might call a person like this twisted. Let me just explain something for you. A lot of times when we read the word wicked or evil, we think of dark, right? We think of destruction. We think of, you know, all the, the, just the, the evil you can think of, right? But the word really is simply a twist. It's simply to twist something. In other words, evil, there's nothing evil's been created. What God created was all good, but it's got twisted. See, the serpent twists it. Adam and Eve twists it. It's just a twist. You got to keep that in mind. It's not about, about him going out and doing dark and evil things. It's twisting the very things that he's been given. Just kind of shifted them. And I think this can help us as we take a look at this. Okay? I think the first thing that gets twisted here is time. I think the first thing we need to notice here is there's, there's a twist on time. Time separates the first two from the third. Now, we know there's at least two types of time, right? There's chronological time, and there's what the Bible calls kairos time. Okay, now these two par- or this parables in the, in the chapter 25, all the parables are what Earl Palmer calls lag time parables. In other words, somebody was here, they leave, and then they're coming back. And in between, we have this time. This lag time is what he calls it, okay? It's a time that the theologians call the already, not yet of the kingdom of God, okay? We experience in part the reign and rule of God, but we don't experience it fully. And so what happens is in the midst of this, um, there becomes a real question about timing. Like, when is Jesus going to come back? Okay? Those become, it becomes a chronological question, if you will. What's interesting is when you study Matthew chapter 24, the stories, the things that Jesus talks about in Matthew 24 will imply that the, that the return is very quick, is, very, is going to be very quick, that, that the, the leg time is going to be short, Jesus is going to come back. All the parables in chapter 25 imply that it's much later, much longer. See, because I think there's something going on here, and that is that we tend to get hung up on timing, okay, chronological time, but what Jesus wants us to focus on is time. He wants us to focus on now, taking advantage of the moments that we're in. And I think the first two servants did that. It says they immediately went out and lived in the moment. But the third guy dwelt on the past, what he knew the master to be like, and he was anxious about the future, making sure his, his, his bag of gold was protected and he could give it back and return it back. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18, has become a verse that I've been clinging to for the last few years of my life. It's funny because it's three verses, but it's very few words. In that verse, the Apostle Paul says this. He says something fascinating. He says, says, rejoice always. You guys are going to know this. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Then he says this, for this is God's will for you. Do you ever wonder what God's will for you in your life? You ever trying to sit down and figure out, what am I supposed to do with my life? Um, let's see. Uh, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. Now, it's simple, but challenging, obviously. I decided to take kind of uh, liberties and, 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 and change the translation for myself uh, this way. I, I, I write, rejoice now, Mike. 
Pray now, Mike. Give thanks now, Mike, for God's will is about now. The moment I'm in. Timing. Interesting, Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, there's this famous love chapter, right? I mean, it's read in weddings and other places. It makes great poems and whatnot. But Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 finishes this great chapter about love by saying this. Three things remain. What are they? Faith, hope, and love. But he said the greatest is what? Why? If I read the book of Romans, I would, and you say, what's most important from Paul's perspective in Romans? I'd say faith. Why did he say love? Now, now bear with me. You know, I'm, I'm, I got to keep things simple. Okay. I got a simple mind, but just bear with me. Here's what I think is the reason why he said love is the greatest is because faith actually looks back and it should. It's important. It looks back and puts its weight down on what God has done for us in Christ Jesus and what he did in his life, death, and resurrection. Faith looks back and puts its weight down on God's faithfulness, right? Hope looks forward to what we will receive, right, when that kingdom is fully experienced in our life. Hope looks forward. Love is now. Love's a now word. Now, I, I, if I looked at Sherry and said, you know, honey, I loved you yesterday. Eh, I'm going to love you tomorrow, but today. <laughs> okay, right? It would be meaningless to say that. Because love is now. Love is a now word. The call to love is a call to live in the moment that we are not yesterday, nor tomorrow, but today. You know, Jesus, interesting, earlier on in that other great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells uh, folks that that living today is also a great cure for anxiety. That's why now is important. The first two understood Kairos, the third did not. I think this view of time is one of the most freeing things in our life. I don't have to be hung up on what I did or did not do yesterday or what I need to do tomorrow, but I can learn to live in the moment right in the middle of God's will. Now, the second thing that we need to take a look at is this view of talents or in the verses I read, bag of, of gold. Um, I, I don't know, that one of my, my favorite lines, uh, movie lines in one of my favorite movies is, is Spider-Man, the Spider-Man movies. And I love Spider-Man. And there's a great line by Spider-Man when he said, he says with great, or Peter Parker said this really, uh, uh, but he says this, he says, with great uh, power comes great responsibility. Yeah, then he says, this is my blessing, my curse. Then he says, who am I? I'm Spider-Man. Anyway, so, wait, I had a moment of wanting to live into my dream of being a superhero. Anyway, so, a couple facts about the bag of gold or the talents. First of all, one, there's five, there's two, and there's one. One talent or one bag of gold is basically a life's wage. So don't think that the guy that got one got shortchanged, okay? It was actually about a life's wage. The, the bags of gold were given according to, fav, uh, according to ability, not favor. That's important to hear. This wasn't a favor thing. Okay, it was, it was an ability thing. It was based on ability. And the bags of gold basically represent not merely money. So I don't want us to simply think this is all about giving our money, that this is going to lead to this, you know, offering taken and everything like that. It's about responsibility. It's about opportunity. It's about gifts that we have. In essence, this is a parable about, give, about being given stewardship of kingdom resources. Remember when Adam, when God created Adam and Eve, he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, steward it. At the core of our created being, at who we are, 
are stewards with God of his creation. We steward things with God. Okay, that's what we've been made to do. So when Adam actually named the animal, he wasn't just sitting over there going, oh, God of heaven, you've already predetermined the name of this animal. Reveal this animal's name to me so I don't get it wrong. Okay, no, God would have said, Adam, get up, name the animal. I want you to name it. And then it says, such, what, what Adam named it? Such was its name, right? See, it's inherent in us to be stewards, okay? Now, I think it's important to realize what is the same about these guys for just a minute. What's similar? And I say this, what I think is similar is that all three took responsibility for the gold that they had received, but they had a very different view of stewardship. Okay, follow me, it was just a minute here. Okay. The third servant seemed to be intentional He went out, he dug a hole, he buried it in order to secure the master's talent. It seemed purposeful. He had a goal. The goal was a talent return unchanged, right? I think if a supervisor had come along and asked, hey, are you guys being responsible with your duties? They'd be all three going, yeah, got it. No problems. But here's where I think the breakdown comes. I told you earlier that he's called the wicked and lazy. The word for lazy translated here, um, well, let me say it this way. When we think of lazy, we usually think of, we make light of it, right? Couch potato. There's almost kind of this, um, that's certainly wrong to be lazy, but it was far from one of the more serious sins of life, right? Just people are lazy. Some people aren't. But I think this parable criticizes our idea of the innocence of laziness, to be really honest with you. Here's where I think they differ, okay? If laziness means doing nothing, then the master is unfair in his description of the third one because he didn't do nothing. He did something. That's why I think based on this parable and a little bit of studying of the Greek, that the word lazy might not be the best word for our modern language. I think what's going on here is that the the third servant is simply simply passively accepting what's coming along in his life. He simply, let let me give you an example of what I mean by that. I wasn't the best student in undergraduate. Um, I kinda took my undergraduate education for granted. I figured out how to get by. I'm going to convict some students here right now, okay? I figured out what the, what the professor needed, and that's what I I was busy, busy figuring out what the professor needed so I could give them that. Very busy. Matter of fact, nobody in this room, in this room would ever say that they're lazy. You know, you would say, no, I'm very busy. But are you busy simply accepting life as it comes your way or actively engaging it? There's a bumper sticker, maybe some of you have seen it. I've seen it a couple different times. It says, Jesus is coming back. Look busy, okay? Because most of us would never say that, right? We would never, we would never go, ah, oh, no, thanks. I'm just too lazy. You know, we wouldn't say that. That's not acceptable. But here's what we do say. We say things like, I can't change anything anyway, so it's not worth getting involved. It really won't add to my life, so why do it? I refuse to do anything that someone else makes me do. You know, right now, I'm just weighing my options. I'd jump right in if only I knew how to help. I'd do more, but I'm so afraid of failing. Oh, I think this gets a lot of people. Gets me a lot. I meant to do it. I just totally forgot. That's the college student excuse. (laughs) And then here's a spiritual one for us. I'm just waiting on the Lord to reveal what I should do. 
Some of you know that my daughter, who's actually here, my daughter Olivia, has type 1 diabetes. I'm going to have to pay her a buck after this for telling a story about her. But um, my daughter, she has type 1 diabetes, and, and you know she's had to accept this, this reality in her life and has taken responsibility to manage it. Now, way back when, when we first discovered it, uh, one year we decided to, to, to run the Beat the Bridge. You know the Beat the Bridge race here? How many has ever run the Beat the Bridge? Some of you run it? Okay, run Beat the Bridge, and um, we're going to, because it's, its goal is to, is to find a cure for diabetes, raise money to find a cure for, for type 1 diabetes. And so we decided to run this race. So did some of the sisters and some of the friends decided to run with Livy on her behalf. So we started running, and guess what? We didn't beat the bridge. So anyway, after the bridge went back down, we came across it, and Libby and I start running, other people started running, then they started walking, and then Libby and I kept running, and they were kind of walking, and they were kind of half walking, half running, and finally I kind of looked at Olivia and I said, do you want to wait for them or do you want to go? And she goes, I want to go. And so Olivia and I took off, and we started running the rest of the race, and I, Olivia, by the way, was in no necessarily any better running shape than anybody else in the crowd, but she's just going to keep running. So we kept running, and about the time we were about to get, get to the finish line in Husky Stadium, um, Olivia looks at me as she's running along and she says, Dad, next year I'm going to beat the bridge. You know, and she kept running. And I was like, yeah, you are. And I high-fived her and said, yeah, 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 we're going to beat the bridge. And as we finished the race uh, that day, Olivia looked at me and she, I'd, run, I'd, I'd done a little bit more long-distance running at that point in my life, not anymore. But, um, and she said, Dad, you know, when you're done running, do you feel like you want to keep running? I said, no, not at all. <laughs> And I said, why? And she says, because I feel like I could keep running. I could keep going. Since that first year, Olivia's beat the bridge many times. She's raised thousands of dollars. Friends, how you view something that you've been given has a profound impact on how you engage it. Olivia refuses to passively accept this problem and passively deal with it. She instead takes an active engagement in it because she realizes it's hers. Guess what? I went to graduate school. I had to pay for it, and all my classes had to do with what I was doing. And guess what? I didn't get by. I engaged it, right? It makes a difference. This leads to our last thing, and that is this. The last thing that gets twisted is our view of the master. Henrietta Mears uh, was famous for, 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 for being asked this question and giving this answer. She said, if, you'd ever, if you had to live your life over again, what, how would you do it differently? And she said, I'd trust God more. I would add to that that I would trust God more that he trusts me to carry on his work. All three of these servants are what you might call believers. All believed in the master. The master is master to all of them. None of them denied that the master was their master. But the first two did not believe, did not simply believe in the master, they believed the master. Let me say that again. The first two not only believed in the master, they believed the master. Many people believe in God, but we don't believe God. God wants us to believe in him and believe, in, and believe him when he invites us to participate in his kingdom work. The third man simply saw the master as a hard man, reaping where he did not sow, gathering where he had not scattered. Matter of fact, the master even lowers the bar, bar and says, you could have at least just put it in the bank. Something is better than nothing. The first two saw something radically different. The master to them was gracious and generous and good. And it led to no hesitancy 
just mere expectancy, a sense of freedom to go for it. You know, many of us go through life, and maybe many of you do. I know I battle with this all the time. Go through life believing a God who is harsh, who's not gracious or generous. And instead of being set free to be all that God has created us to be, we live in constant fear of disappointing him. Friends, the message of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, is about communicating to a bitter, a broken, and an anxiety-filled world that God's good. His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues to each generation. My friends, as the church, I don't mean UPC now, I'm talking universal. We have spent way too long communicating to people that we are at the center of it, that we need to be more obedient, that it's up to us. What I hope we can start doing is spend more time pointing to Jesus as the center, focusing on God's faithfulness to us through Christ Jesus, and then just be set free to go for it. UPC's tagline, every member a minister. What's your tagline? Hope and prayers will be well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, thank you for the gift of your generosity and opportunity to participate with you in your work. In Jesus' name, amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.